When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Today, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, and I are filling in the blanks. We asked our Football Insider subscribers to send us fill-in-the-blank questions, and they did. So that's what we did. We filled in the blanks. It's like going back to school and taking a test, kind of without that anxiety of, of test taking. Okay, look, if you want to be a Football Insider subscriber, you want to be able to submit those questions to us, you got to go to cleveland.com slash browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to get all the info and get signed up. You get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. I wrote the one that was delivered today to your inbox or what would have been delivered to you if you're a Football Insider subscriber. You can become one of our text subscribers as well. And also you get access to those exclusive stories at cleveland.com slash brown. So again, cleveland.com slash brown is the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Okay, fill in the blank time here on the Orange Brown Talk Podcast. Here we go on our Wednesday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kate Cabot, Scott Hatsko. And we are going to do some fill in the blanks. Asked our Football Insider subscribers to send me some fill in the blanks. And as usual, when we ask them to do stuff, they came through for us. So I'm going to be honest with you, Mary Kate and Scott. This is the first time I'm looking at these, but they sent us a bunch of replies. So we're going to go through as many of these as we can over the next 30 minutes or so. Let's start here. Three games in. Mary Kay, you and I were talking about this. It's almost impossible to make sweeping judgments on teams, right? We, we just don't know. And, and there's so many situations where, you know, a kick goes one way or a fumble doesn't happen. And we're talking about a team completely differently after these first three games. But from the 330 area code, the Browns will place blank in the division. After three games, how are we feeling? The Browns will place blank in the division. Hmm. It's a good one. It's a really good one because, you know, watching those Ravens play, I I feel like they're a little bit better than I thought they were going to be after, you know, they had all those ACL tears and all kinds of different things. But um, now I think that it's going to be a little tighter race, but as I keep mentioning over and over, I do think strength of schedule is vitally important. And I just think that that grueling stretch they have there with the two Browns games uh, and the Pittsburgh Steelers in the middle. So they're a little Browns sandwich there. Uh, I think we'll make or break the AFC North. I think the Browns are going to come out on top in that stretch, partly because they have a bye in the middle. Um, so I still think I'm taking the Br- Cleveland Browns to finish first in the AFC North. Yeah, I'll say first. I think uh, every other team in this division has to play above itself to beat the Browns. I don't think the Browns have to play at their absolute best to beat anybody else in this division. Um, you know, they're going to get Anthony Walker back at some point, uh, especially they, they should have him by the time the, you know, the real important games start rolling around. So uh, I'm going to say first, I haven't seen anything through the first few weeks that, you know, would really definitively say that anybody else in this division has a better chance of winning than them. 
So wait a minute. Let me ask you, Scott. You you don't think the Browns need to play their best to beat the Ravens? Like, just from what you've seen from them so far, you're not not that sold. Uh, through two years, well, a year and three games of the Browns, how often have you really seen this team at its best? Um, and and they've you know they've beaten these teams. So I, th- I think. Yeah, I don't think they have to play absolutely their best to, to beat other teams in this division. I think the Ravens, Ravens, Ravens should have lost that game against the Lions. I mean, if the refs are on there on point <laughs> and pay attention to the play clock, the Ravens would have lost to the Lions. So let that sink in for a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't think – I think the Browns are the favorite, and it's, it's kind of clear at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Ravens are actually one of those teams. Like, how are we talking about them if Clyde Edwards-Alaire doesn't fumble – and if, like you said, Scott, the refs catch that that delay of game, or even if they don't, Justin Tucker doesn't make a historic field goal to win it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if that would have been the Browns on Sunday beating the Lions like that, we'd be in panic mode, and and rightfully so. Like you, you shouldn't beat the Lions on a on a last second field goal. So the Ravens are one of those teams that have a good record, but I'm not sure if we know exactly who they are. But I do think that game against the Chiefs, even though they needed some help to win it at least showed you that, that they're competitive and, and they're in the discussion and they're going to be a difficult team to, to have to deal with um, this season. Okay. I don't know. The Chiefs are last in their division. Are the Chiefs what we thought they were? Just, I'm just throwing <laughs> questions out. They will be now with Josh Gordon. <laughs> yeah. we, get, we, did get a, we did get a Josh Gordon fill in the blank. I was just, just scanning through them. You um, know, I mean, just after the first few weeks, I mean, I really think that, you know, what we've been saying all along is still out there. I mean, it is just out there on the table for the Browns uh, to go to the AFC championship game, to go to the Super Bowl, maybe win it. I mean, it's out there. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what to make of the chiefs. I still think they're, I still think they're the, the team to beat in the AFC, but the Browns had a double digit lead on them. They gave away that game against the Ravens. And the Chargers beat them. I mean, the Chargers, the Chargers are really good. Maybe the Chargers are going to steal that division. We'll see. There's still so, so long to go here in, uh, in this thing. Okay. From the 937 area code, the Browns obviously got nine sacks against the Chicago Bears. This, this should almost go for our, our Friday pod, but we'll, we'll give a little preview here. The Browns will get blank sacks against the Vikings. Hmm. It's not going to be nine. No, it's not going to be nine. <laughs> I think we can safely say that. Hmm. How about four? I could be on team four. I could be on team four. I mean, they're, I, I think they woke up. I think the sleeping giant woke up. Now, the key, obviously, there will be a number of keys, uh, and one of them will be getting the ball out very quickly. I mean, you can neutralize – a lot of that pass rush if you just release the ball, which, of course, Justin Fields did not do. So, um, you know, you've got a really veteran, veteran quarterback that knows what he's up against in terms of how fast these guys are going to be coming at him. I think the game plan will be release the ball very quickly. Yeah, I think it's going to be night and day from what you saw against the Bears because the, the quarterback makes a lot of difference. And having a running back who's <clears throat> so uh, dangerous running and catching. They haven't used play action as much as they have in the past, but it's still a part of their, of their offense. Um, so that can factor into the pass rush. I, 
I wouldn't go over four. I, I might probably be closer to like two or three. I mean, I, it wouldn't be surprising if that's what it was. The big deal would be pressures, making him get rid of it faster than he wants, and then everybody on the back end limiting yards after catch. You know, they do that. It doesn't matter that they're not necessarily getting to Cousins and getting sacks. But I, would, I wouldn't go over four. Yeah, I think whoever takes this for Friday, uh, set the over-under at two. Uh, Kirk has been sacked three times by Cincinnati, once by Arizona, once by Seattle. And the other thing that Minnesota does that Chicago did not do for some reason is they're going to run the football. And so that's going to help protect Kirk Cousins. And just rewatching that game earlier this morning, I, it was mind boggling how little the Bears ran the ball with David Montgomery. And he had success early. And I'm not saying they needed to give it to him 25 times, but like they were never in a position where they were down by so much that they needed to stop running the football and it, it was it was mind-boggling how little they actually did to protect Justin Fields it was mind-boggling I mean and that's why I wrote the uh you know the Dan Arlovsky fire Matt Nagy immediately <laughs> story because I thought he did a nice job of breaking down uh just how they were in a five-man protection 13 out of the 20 attempts and how they just did absolutely nothing uh, to try to minimize Miles Garrett. I mean, he was coming off of a game in which he was complaining about how much he was chipped. I mean, you got to try something. Jason Peters is 100 years old. I mean, my goodness, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? I, I don't understand it. I, think I mean, good, calling, good for the Browns. I mean, calling for a coach to be fired, I think, was a little overboard. It's not like he's the only person who's ever been sacked nine times. I, I wrote about this after the game. Back in 89, I remember watching the Browns sack Randall Cunningham nine times. That was such a fun game to watch. It was like, I just wanted to see the defense on the field because, I mean, he was running around. And he had been in the league for a few years at that point. He had had success at that point. So it wasn't like he was a rookie trying to figure out what he was doing. I mean, that could happen. Uh, but... I don't think it was a fireable offense. Yeah, it was a bad game plan, and they didn't really seem to have many answers. Uh, but, you know, he's not the first person to get sacked like that. Okay, we had some people send in some uh, fill-in-the-blanks where they basically asked us to describe a player or a duo. So I want to get to a couple of those. Uh, the first one from the 216 area code. Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney are blank. So how would you finish that sentence? Go ahead, Scott. Do you have something? Large human beings. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, uh, I mean, as advertised, I mean, fair. I think I'm not basing it on the Bears. I think they both together have done things this season that we thought they would do. I mean, Miles is, is off to a great start, uh, pressure and sack wise. I think he's the leader now in sacks and he's, he's had two eight plus pressure games. And then uh, Clowney has, has played well against the run. He's had his moments uh, rushing the passer as well. I mean, I think through three games, you can say you've gotten what, what you thought you would. I think consistency is always the, the big thing as we go forward, but um, I would say as advertised. How about rush and crush? <laughs> <laughs> Remember those days? The Browns had, had rush and crush. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they complement each other very well. I, I mean, the first few weeks, 
even though after two weeks, Jadavian Clowney was ranked number 80th amongst edge rushers on pro football focus, which I couldn't believe, there was no way he was playing that poorly. He was very effective against the run. And he was actually tied with miles with like hurries or hits or something like that. I think it was hurries. He was not playing that poorly at all. Uh, he was knocking off some rust, but I actually thought that he was very, very effective in the run game, which is what they always thought he would be. Um, so I, I just thought that that was way, way, way too low of a ranking for Jadavian Clowney in that, in those, after those first two weeks. So I think these guys are going to be really good together. I think, uh, again, I think that the, the sleeping giant woke up a little bit, meaning the whole defense in this past game. And I think they're going to, uh, I think they're just going to get better from here, even though some of that had to do with a rookie quarterback and a bad offensive line. I think it was still a springboard for future success of this defense. Yeah, a couple of things I'm looking up here on, on PFF. Uh, Miles Garrett is third in pressures. Clowney is tied for 13th. Uh, and then win percentage, uh, Garrett is tied for third. And Clow Clowney's at 27th, but yeah, that's okay. Um, but, but you can see those pressures. You know, they're both in the top 15 in pressures with Garrett leading the way, well, leading the way for the Browns. He's third overall. Uh, and even Tack McKinley in the top, uh, the top page here, the top 50, he's got seven pressures. So they're, they're creating pressure. So I'll say as advertised, um, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody could have expected Jadavian Clowney to put up huge sack numbers necessarily this year. He had a double digit sack game on Sunday, uh, but he's, he's helping miles and he's creating pressure. And, you know, I think he is going to end up with a, a pretty good year in, in the sack category by the time all is said and done. Uh, another one here, uh, another fill in the blank about a player as I scroll down to find it from the 240 area code. So far, Anthony Schwartz has been blank. Mm. This is a tough one. I'm going to say set back. Okay. I'm going to say Anthony Schwartz has been set back. He did not practice most of the off season and he did not pass, practice most of training camp. When you've got a young guy like that, a rookie who's just coming in, you need practice. You need all the reps you can get. And I've said, I've said this before, I've seen even veteran players miss lots of training camp and struggle afterwards. You guys remember, maybe you don't when Breland Edwards caught 16 touchdown passes one year from Derek Anderson, the year after that Dante Stallworth stepped on his foot with a cleat in training camp, right? Scott remembers. First, first play, I think is what it was termed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he missed most of training camp, and Braylon just was never himself the rest of that year. I think there's a lot to be said for training camp. It's when installation happens. It's when you rep it over and over and over again. It's when you can have some contact. It's when you can sometimes tackle to the ground or have a siren period. Um, and I just think that Anthony Schwartz was due for – a pretty decent sized role heading in. And, um, and I think that, that, that kind of put the kibosh on that a little bit. Now that Odell's back, you know, that takes some of those reps away. The first couple of weeks he had 30 and 31 or 31 and 30. Um, and that was largely because they needed him uh, to play some of those Odell roles. But now that Odell's back and when Jarvis gets back, it might be a little difficult for Anthony Schwartz to get on the field. 
Yeah, I guess I'll fill in the blank with rookie. Um, he's, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a rookie so far. I think that first game was, was fun to watch. I think I had, uh, I did winners and losers after this past game. And one of the losers was the Anthony Schwartz story because it's just kind of everything that you thought was going to happen after that first game. It's since then it's been two targets, no catches. And I think he's had about 30 snaps in his last two games. Um, yeah, he had 28 against the bears. So yeah, you're right. I mean, Odell coming back changes things for him and, uh, Higgins, becoming kind of the main slot guy uh, against the bears changes things. And, you know, it's, he's a third round pick. It's the crowded receiver room that we kind of thought it was at the beginning of the year, even though maybe it hasn't been totally what we expected. It's still, they have a lot of, you know, a lot of other options other than him. And uh, yeah, it's, he's, this is a rookie year for him and this is how it goes. Yeah. My five touchdowns for Anthony Schwartz aren't looking so very good right now. <laughs> yeah. There's still 14 games left. That's true. Uh, can, we include, that, can we include playoffs in that too? Uh, that, that might be pushing it a little. <laughs> All right. We'll, dis- we'll discuss that at the end of January. <laughs> <laughs> this maybe goes hand in hand though with the Schwartz discussion. From the 802 area code, the player whose role will expand most by playoff time will be blank. Hmm. That is a good one. One more time. The player whose role will expand the most by playoff time will be blank. I think Demetric Felton is a candidate. That's a good one. I think he's definitely a candidate. Um, hmm. Can we include, I I mean, we can include JOK in this discussion. I know he played, what did he play? Was it 50%? I don't remember how many. 23 snaps. Yeah, tw- which I which was less. It was than almost I fifty. It was almost fifty percent of the snaps. If it yeah, fifty. Yeah, so, which again I thought that was a little bit. Of, but I think they're. I think they are kind of. I think Joe Woods is doing what he said he was going to do with them. He said he was going to like sort of ease him into it, and he is actually doing that. So somebody that really just hasn't played very much. I think Demetri Felton is one that uh, he could probably get more snaps, and, and I think Anthony Schwartz goes in that conversation too. Yeah, I would go with JOK. I think his role is going to. Uh just expand more and more. Uh, he was number two uh, in snaps among the linebackers this past week. And you saw more of the, uh, the three safety look. I think Delta had 17 snaps to kind of help with that. So I think as that kind of ramps up, I think other linebackers might lose snaps and JOK because he can do multiple things. Is the guy that you're going to see in there in the middle. And then, you know, if and when Anthony Walker returns, those are the two guys who, you know, maybe by midway through the season, maybe they start to be the guys who separate themselves snap wise from everybody else at linebacker. Uh, I'm sure that's, I mean, that's best case scenario. You have your, your, your veteran uh, in Walker out there, and then you have your kind of Swiss army knife and, and JOK next to him. And that's, that's a good duo to, to deal with, uh, with most teams. So I think, I'm expecting JLK's role to, to kind of increase by the playoff time. Scott, I think, I think you, said, you said another name too in there that I think needs to be in the discussion. That's Delpit. Um, I'm pulling it up here. He played in 43% of the snaps against Houston and 38% against the Bears. Uh, so that's a number that could go up. You know, maybe eventually he's playing more snaps than Ronnie Harrison. I, I don't know how that all shakes out, but I, th- mm-hmm. I think he's a guy that, you know, we include in that discussion too, as he's kind of 
getting healthy and, and getting comfortable in this defense. And again, as Joe Woods is, is sort of figuring out, um, you know, how to, how to kind of use him. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, I think JOK um, will ramp up over the next couple of weeks, actually. Um, I was surprised again that he didn't get more this week, but I think just even over the next two weeks, I think he's, he's a starting weak side backer. And I think that, you know, he'll be in there most of the time over the next couple of weeks. Okay. This is a, this is going to be a tough one from the 703 area code. The thing that keeps Kevin Stefanski awake at night is blank. What is, he most, what is he most concerned about? Go ahead, Mary Kay. Teams figuring out what they're doing with Baker Mayfield, like slowing down the play action or the boots, okay? If, if a team can diagnose that and figure that out, I think that um, that would be scary. I think that would be scary because so much of what they do uh, is based on uh, that play action keeper game and, and defenses, good defenses are really, really working hard to chip away at these offenses, these cookie cutter offenses that you're seeing all over the NFL. The Browns are getting ready to play the same offense in Minnesota, right? This weekend. Uh, it's the Sean McVay offense. It's the Kyle Shanahan. Uh, it's the Green Bay. So, um, you know, defenses are like, okay, we were kind of done with the play action boot game and we're going to, we're going to figure this out. And I think that, uh, if I were Kevin Stefanski, that's, that's what would keep me up at night. Uh, man, I mean, Nick Chubb's health, <laughs> if yeah, he's, I he, like he's not been dinged up or anything, but, uh, I think knowing how they struggled last year without him might be one, but I think I would go with just uh, this receiving group as a whole, maybe, and trying to figure out how to get the most out of it, because you could argue that they really haven't at this point, Um, you know, dealing with Jarvis's injury, injury, getting Waddell back into the swing of things and how to get the most out of people's Jones and where does Schwartz fit into that? Uh, He, he gets production out of the tight ends, out of his running backs, but this year, uh, getting the most out of his wide receivers, it's been a chore. And you, you know, I think we've come away with really the last two weeks, especially wondering why he hasn't gotten as much production out of them and how different would the game have been if he had had someone kind of step up and, and, uh, and be able to even get some targets. I mean, he, they weren't even targeted for the most part. So uh, I would say right now it might be wide receivers. I think the word hamstring is what's keeping him awake at night now (laughs) over and over again, having somebody from the training staff walk into his office and say, somebody's got a hamstring or something like that. I think that's probably the the word that's keeping him up at night. And by the way, shout out to our texter here for referring to Kevin Stefanski as K Steph. We're going to make that stick. stick. (laughs) Whatever happened to coach ski. Oh, coach ski. (laughs) Oh, wait, I've got another one. Can I? Okay. Honorary mention for uh, for Ellis, who couldn't be on with us today. Um, COVID. Oh, yeah, that's still. Positive COVID test 
still a nightmare because you could have, well, for the vaccinated guys like Baker, you know, he tests on a Monday usually, although they have a window. But I think that most of those guys would test on a Monday. So if you test positive on Monday, you have a really good chance of getting back onto the playing field by Sunday. But there are going to be some weeks where, you know, they're playing a Thursday night game after a Sunday game. You know what I mean? So, um, so that I would say that, that that would be something that would probably be keeping every single NFL coach awake at night this year. Yeah, I don't think it's as tenuous as it was. I mean, last year it really felt day to day. Like, yeah, you just you just never knew what was going to happen day to day. But that's still in the back of everyone's minds for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good one. Uh, all right, let's see here. Um, there was one I really liked here, and I just need to find it. Here we go. Well, this wasn't the one I was looking for, but I like this one still from the three three zero area code. The Browns will leave Minnesota feeling blank. Relieved. <laughs> Relieved. They're going to win a close game. And they're going to come away at three and one. It will not have been easy. They're going to give them a good fight. They're going to give them a pretty good battle. Dalvin Cook might be back. They could run the ball well. Kirk Cousins is playing well. Uh, so I think they're going to win it, but they're going to come out of there and they're going to say, wow, we were lucky to get out of there. I mean, this I mean, could be you a go by the first. Hey, what? I, I mean, this could end up being a shootout too, which is when you, yeah. uh, would, those are the games that just wear you out and, and make you nervous. I think they're going to come away feeling a lot like they have last couple of weeks where they're going to do enough to win. And, but there's, you know, there's still things going to be things to work on. Uh, I'm not going to believe this team will blow out anybody until it actually happens. Uh, even, you know, 26 to six against the bears. It just, there was, it took a little longer to get to comfortable uh, area of that game than, than it probably should have. So uh, I would say they're going to, they're going to feel like a three and one team because they're probably going to be a three and one team, but they're going to also have that feeling that we've still got things to work on, which, you know, is expected. It's only week three, week four. I don't even know what week is. Week four. <laughs> week four. And again, Minnesota is one of those teams where you look at them and, okay, they're one and two. But if Greg Joseph makes a 37 yard field goal, then they beat the Cardinals. And are, are we talking about them differently? I mean, there's, again, they're just another one of those teams that's like, you know, one little thing sort of changes how, how you talk about them. They still can't defend anybody, but, but this game could just end up being a shootout, which, uh, so I'll just say the Browns will leave Minnesota feeling exhausted, uh, but happy because they're, I, I think they're going to come away with a win um, and get ready to move on to that big game against the Chargers. Um, this is coming from Ken in Ponte Vedra, Florida. And so this is sort of relative. It, it just depends, I guess, what you each consider a big win for this team. But he's asking, uh, the Browns' next big win will be against blank. Now, maybe it's this week. Maybe you think there's some other team down the road that you think will qualify as a big win. But the Browns' next big win will be against blank. Hmm. 
they they haven't had a big win yet this season. I guess is that what we're we're going with? Yeah, I think that's kind of what he's getting at because they they lost to the Chiefs and then they beat the the Texans and Bears. So I I think Chargers. I think Chargers. I mean, they just beat the Chiefs, and yeah, the Chargers are for real. Justin Herbert's a, a good young quarterback. It's going to be a nice duel, and that's on the road. That's your second straight road game. I'm going Chargers there. I mean, they're going to be there. That's a team that you have to look at as contending uh, for the playoffs and somebody that you're going to have to worry about. I think that would be it. Yeah. The Chargers have the Raiders this week. They win that game and they're both, both teams are coming into, you know, that week four or three and one. That's, yeah, that's going to be a huge game. Uh, and that would be a big win to go on the road, cross country and do that. Uh, we, we don't want to say prime time against the Broncos a couple weeks after that. No, anybody <laughs> from the Broncos? Um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll say the Chargers. I think that's, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, not, any, any, any team, any win is big. They'll tell you the Vikings, being the Vikings would be a big win for them. But I think nationally and the way people perceive the Browns, beating the Chargers on the road, if both are three and one, that'll be big. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the Cardinals, but that's pending how the Cardinals do in these next two weeks when they have to play at LA against the Rams and then they host San Francisco. Um, so that could be a three and two team, or that could be a team that's like four and one with, you know, a really good win in these next two. Uh, but I'm going to say the Cardinals just because to, you know, since Doug is not here either today on the pod, he always likes to point out if you think the Browns are going to lose whatever five or six games, you got to find them. And so I've sort of had that chargers game circled. It's just a really difficult game for this football team. Um, so I'm going to go one week past that one and say the Cardinals, who I think are, are a good team. And so that'll be the next kind of big win um, for this, this Browns team. All right, let me look through here and find a couple other good ones. Uh, okay. I said there was a Josh Gordon question, so we'll just do this one real quickly. Mary Kay, you and I talked a little bit about Josh um, last uh, on Tuesday. From the 216 area code, Josh Gordon will play blank games for the Chiefs. Mm, that is a good one. Uh, I'm going to say nine. I think he's going to play nine games. I don't now, know why that- I'm saying that. <laughs> is that going to take him to the end of the seat? Is that like nine games? Like he's going to, like, he's not going to get suspended. He's not going to like, whatever, get released or something. It's going to be like nine games and then the season's over. Or, or how do you, like, how do those nine games work in your head? Let me, let's say he gets out there, plays a couple of games, pulls a hamstring, has to sit down for a while or has some other injury because he hasn't played in so long. And he's just physically not where he needs to be. So gets some kind of an injury, sits down for a while, and then comes back for like the last seven games of the regular season. That works. I'm going to say zero. I'm going to go Ooh. all or nothing here and say zero. I mean, do the Chiefs have any issues with their receiving core right now that we know about? Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, – put him on the practice squad it's going to take a while to get him up to speed uh i mean when was the last time he actually played in an nfl game uh so i'll say zero 
I'll say you put them on the practice squad and you just see how it goes. And unless there's some sort of injury issue uh, that wipes out some people, I don't see the point of, uh, of forcing him in there for people who have, you know, been performing on this team the whole time and who obviously know the offense and, you know, and all that. So. We should, we should mention that you can protect a number of your guys from getting signed off the practice squad, because if that weren't the case, then somebody would pluck him right off your practice squad because there were a number of teams that were interested in signing him and a player like that, you know, guys are going down, receivers are getting hurt. A guy like that is worth taking a flyer on and just seeing if he can do anything, throw him out on a go route and throw him the football. Um, so, you know, if, if they couldn't protect him, then I would think that they would have to put him up onto the regular roster really fast, but um, that enables them to buy a little time, like you said, and get him up to speed. Yeah, I'm going to say seven. And, and I actually, I'm more concerned about kind of what you were pointing at, Mary Kay. I'm more concerned about the physical side. Um, mm-hmm. than, I mean, you know, there's always the, the, the stuff in the background looming, you know, is he going to get suspended again? You know, that that's always going to be out there when we're talking about Josh Gordon, but I, I'm just a little nervous about the, the physical side and whether, whether he can hold up, even though he doesn't have the wear and tear on his body, he just didn't look, even when he was in new England and, and they kind of made him productive. He just didn't, he didn't look like the Josh Gordon we saw in Cleveland. And I think it's, I think, you know, the, the idea of a pulled hamstring or something like that really does feel realistic um, with him. Okay, let's see here. A couple more. 304 area code. Let's go back to Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. Ronnie from Chapmanville, West Virginia. JOK will finish blank for defensive rookie of the year. It's a good one. That's a good one. Trying to think of the other candidates. Yeah, there's some corners. Greg Newsom. Greg Newsom. Yeah, I'll say, let me say, third I, I think he'll finish third I'm gonna play it safe I'm gonna say he will finish with votes for defensive rookie <laughs> of the year <laughs> I like it um, I'm looking through here and, and just pulling up some names so there's JC Horn who just got hurt uh, Patrick Sertain the second I'm um, just looking at some first round guys Micah Parsons mm-hmm. that's yeah. a guy who could win it plays for the Cowboys is, is playing really well um, Zaven Collins with Arizona, Jamin Davis with Washington, um, just some other names here. Uh, there were some, we mentioned Newsome, of course, and then, you know, the bills are getting some production out of, out of Gregory Russo. So maybe that's, mm-hmm. that's a guy, but you know, I mean, this is, if JOK finishes the season with some sacks, I don't know, maybe seven or eight is probably a really high number, but that's, I guess what he would need to do and sort of has those flash plays. He could certainly mm-hmm. put himself in the discussion. Uh, so I think third is actually the sweet spot right now mm-hmm. without, without really seeing him fully unleashed just yet. I think that's probably a good place to put him in, in the rookie of the year voting. Um, so let me see if I can get really, one. Go ahead. JOK and Newsom are probably, they, they're locks to make the all rookie team. So they should get that. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure about the actual top of the heat. I think once again, I think the lights are going to come on for JOK at a certain point. 
and then they're going to, it's just going to be go time. Uh, I think the fact that he missed the first five days of training camp and then missed another four days uh, with the weightlifting accident and the, the gash in his forehead, nine training camp practices is a lot for a rookie to miss. And you do have to have some catch up time after that. So I, um, I think the lights are going to come on one of these days fairly soon. And once they do, I think he's going to be off to the races and his athleticism will be able to take over and he won't be thinking as much. And when that happens, I think he's going to make some really big dynamic plays. I think he's going to get some turnovers. I think he's going to get some sacks. And if those lights come on early enough, he could make a run for it. He, he could definitely make a run for it, but, but he has to, he has, has to get there first. Okay, I think that's uh, I think that's just about everything. But I do want to throw one more at you, and I thought I saw this one, so I wanted to give credit, but I can't find it. Um, we're we're going back to we talked about how the Browns will feel after this game on Sunday. We're going to continue down this emotions podcast here, our, our spinoff. <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings will feel blank after Sunday's game. Sore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. You got to stretch. Those... Yeah. stretch properly. So you're not too sore. Yeah. I'm talking about like those nine sacks, poor Justin Fields. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that, I think it's going to be a tough physical game. I think the Browns are turning into a tough physical defense. And so that's where I'm going with that. I, I, I think that uh, they're going to make things hard on offenses this year from a physical standpoint. Hmm. I don't know, a sense of longing, a sense of loss, watching Kevin Stefanski coach the Browns, uh, wishing he was still calling plays for them, maybe. Maybe that'll be it, uh, especially if they lose and the Browns offense looks good. That's the best I got. I, w- I was thinking about something along those lines, Scott, like wishing. I, I actually like Mike Zimmer and he's done a good job, but if the Vikings struggle this year, he might end up getting fired. And at that point, if you're a Vikings fan, you're like, I can't believe we let Kevin Stefanski go. Um, uh, you know, it happens, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's probably something, something Kevin Stefanski uh, related, by the way, real quick. Do you guys believe that Kevin Stefanski sees this as just another game? You know what? I think once again, the answer is like somewhere in the middle. I think he, <laughs> does a tremendous job of controlling his emotions and he is really truly a flatliner and he is unflappable but when you spend 14 years in a place you had all your kids there you've got so many friends there you built a life there uh there there is going to be extra feeling it's just not going to happen from one to four on sunday he's he's not going to let any kind of emotions get the best of him but he will feel nostalgic about being back in Minnesota. And this does mean a lot to him. Uh, so yeah, I, you're not gonna see it. You won't be able to detect it, but there's no way you really wouldn't be human if you didn't go have this homecoming game and have it be uh, very emotional for you. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're exactly right, Mary Kay. I think it's impossible not to feel like that, but um, there's nothing like he can't go into this game thinking I want to show them because that's not the way he left. You know, he had every job you can think of there and he was, you know, promoted offensive coordinator and then obviously left because, you know, he had this opportunity. So it's not a revenge thing. It's not uh, anything like I want to show them what I can really do kind of thing. I think it's just more, I'm back home. 
or what was home for a long time. And, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of weird. It's going to be like what Tom Brady feels, I'm sure, going back to New England this weekend. Yeah, I mean, a lot of Minnesota ties, too, on, on this Brown staff. It's not just a fan's game. Joe Woods was there. Drew Petzing was there. I mean, we can just go through the whole staff. There were people – there's people all over the staff who Kevin kind of plucked from Minnesota. So it's, it's kind of a homecoming for a lot of people. But like you said, Scott, it's not like a bad feelings. Hey, they fired Kevin Stefanski or, you know, they told him to get out of here. It was mm-hmm. – he just got an opportunity and he took it. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast stick with us all week as we'll be with you with our prediction pod got to watch the tape coming up as well this week and then our post game pod after the vikings game for scott and mary cam dan thanks for listening